you. Well, I might. That would be a treat, wouldn't it? <laughs> I used to be the worship leader here. That's the really worrying thing. <laughs> That's true. Good. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to get straight into the Word of God. And uh, I want to really apply this to you. I feel God's spoken uh, to me uh, some things for you from 1 Samuel. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Samuel, that's obviously in the Old Testament. It's one of the historical books, comes directly after Judges, which is after Joshua, which is after Deuteronomy. I can flick back if you like. Which is after Numbers, which is... Thanks, Sam. So always a great privilege for me to uh, come back here to Hastings. Uh, Hastings is our hometown. It's the place where we uh, met, Anne and I. It's the place where I first served the Lord here in the church in uh, what was called Hastings Christian Fellowship in those days, then became King's Church, uh, where I became an elder here and uh, where we were sent from here to Eastbourne to be with Don and Stephanie, who it's great to see here this morning, and uh, then from there up to the north-east of England for about 10, 11 years, and then the last couple of years, or the last year and a half, we've been serving the Lord in Manchester and uh, really enjoying that. It's great to look out on our congregation now in Manchester. The average age is about 25, which makes me feel incredibly old. <laughs> um, I know that's very hard for you to imagine, but uh, it does make me feel very old. And as I look out there, there's uh, David Williams from here. As I look out there, is uh, Olivia Honecker, uh, Vanessa from here. Uh, as I look out, is Pete Delves from here. Uh, it's just great to see uh, the inheritance of Hastings carrying on, even in a place like Manchester. Uh, you do know that you're famous all over the world, don't you? Some of you are particularly famous all over the world, or you don't realise it, because you fuel so many of my stories. And uh, <laughs> that's absolutely true. I won't tell you who they are, but uh, I'm sure Don does the same. Uh, it's hard to tell stories of the people in the church you're in, but churches you've left, it's fine. It's kind of allowed. But uh, really your fame is spreading throughout the world, and you need to know that. You need to know that from here, churches in Canada uh, have been established and built up. Churches in America have been established and built up. Churches in Germany have been established and built up. Uh, our influence now in terms of Scotland, Ireland, uh, Northern England, obviously, and Wales now increasingly. You, you've got an inheritance in all these places. You've got inheritance in China because people have gone here from China. You've got inheritance in the Middle East because people have gone here from there. It's amazing to me that a town like Hastings, which can seem so insignificant and heaven applauds, <laughs> which can seem so tiny, which can seem so out of the way, can't it? I mean, it takes me longer to get on a train. I did it yesterday to our Vancouver day. It took me longer to get on a train from Hastings to London as it did from Manchester to London because we have a fast train that doesn't stop at every station. And uh, you can, we have motorways in the north. And you can feel... <laughs> I used to be liked here. You can feel just cut off, can't you? And you can feel a little bit isolated. You can feel that in Hastings. Having lived here for about uh, 35 whatever years of my life, um, I know that. Uh, I love the town, I love Hastings, you have my heart, you know that, uh, and your fame is spreading throughout the world. But I want to bring something to you this morning, just for you to know God's sovereign choice of you and God's hand of you. It's interesting how Paul uh, read that scripture uh, right at the end in terms of God's sovereignty, God's choosing you, God's hand upon you, and I really believe that. So 1 Samuel chapter 16 
And these are verses that I've been living with. I've been preaching through the life of David uh, up in Manchester. We've been living with his humanity and we've been living also with the amazing things that God does. God loves to take hold of weak people like me. Isn't that right, Debbie? Yeah, very weak people like me and very weak people like Debbie. And he loves to change the world with you and he loves to influence the world with you. It's not the powerful and the strong and the mighty and the influential that will change the world. It's the weak, it's the inconsequential. It's those that almost seem to get missed out and don't even get noticed who God calls to change the world. Such are the people of Hastings, praise the Lord. We can rise up and be proud of who we are in God, not because of our achievements, but because of what God has called us to do and to influence. So hopefully you found 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it's called Samuel anoints David. Just to give you a little bit of the context here, uh, a little bit of the background, Saul, the, Samuel, the mighty prophet of God, who's been used powerfully by God since he was a little boy, uh, Samuel has uh, previously anointed a king and that king was called Saul and Saul at first did mighty exploits for God. There was incredible breakthrough, there was an extension of the kingdom of God that happened through Saul's ministry and uh, the spirit of God came on Saul. We tend to think of Saul was just a man of the flesh or a man of his own ability. Actually the spirit of God came on Saul. He was changed, the Bible says, into a different man and uh, did mighty exploits for God and yet somehow became proud and arrogant through that. He was a very powerful man, Saul. He was a very strong leader and uh, somehow he became arrogant. Somehow he took things to himself that were never his authority, that were never his things to do. So when there was called to be a sacrifice to celebrate what God had done in terms of a great victory and Samuel said, wait for me, wait in this place, I'll turn up, I'm the priest, I'm the prophet, I'll bring the sacrifice and Saul took it on himself to do because Samuel was a little late and the arrogance of that man and God had therefore said to Saul through Samuel, Saul, today I rip the kingdom from you and give it to another. So this is the context of what we're reading into and actually that had produced quite a bit of fear in Samuel and actually quite a bit of fear in Saul as well. Saul was pretty angry at that. So this is the context that we uh, read into now. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and let's read from verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn over Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. I mean, that's really helpful, isn't it? It's like, uh, oh, of course, a heifer. You know, bring a heifer, that really helps in these situations. Actually, it does. I preached this in Manchester and... uh, I didn't realise that uh, colloquially heifer, what, what, what is a heifer? Actually a heifer is a, uh, a young cow that hasn't yet borne any calves. And uh, in Manchester, heifer is a colloquialism for some of the clubbing girls that go out. And I, I had no idea. So I thought, this is going down well, they're laughing. They're, they're, I was told afterwards, that's what a heifer is in Ma- Oh, right, okay. So uh, you, you've got to be contextual. Take a heifer with you. It got me into problems. 
I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you're to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they came to meet him. Do you come in peace, they asked. Samuel replied, yes, in peace I've come to sacrifice with the Lord. Look, I've brought a heifer with me. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his outward appearance or his height for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and Samuel said, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, there is the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's still tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. So they sent for him and brought him in. And he was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. By the way, in case you think David was incredibly good looking, it just meant he was a girly. It just meant he probably hadn't shaved yet. He looked at, he was, uh, he was a pretty boy. That's what it's saying in its context. It's just a young, he hasn't even, there isn't, isn't even any hairs on his chinny chin chin. <laughs> and then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Father, I want to thank you for this great congregation. I want to thank you for King's Church Hastings. I want to thank you for your sovereign choice of this church. I want to thank you, Lord, that your spirit and your hand rest powerfully upon this group. I want to thank you for their influence all over the world. Lord, I thank you that from humble beginnings, from a basement flat in St. Leonard's, Lord, the gospel has gone forth and multiplied. And we thank you, Lord. We do not claim any credit for this. We know Don Smith. <laughs> Lord, we do not take any credit for this. This is the Lord's doing. And therefore, Lord, we want to worship you with reverence and fear, thanking you for your calling and your choice. In Jesus' name. Amen. So obvious that uh, David is God's choice here. God is in the business of choosing for himself. It's not for us to choose. It's not for Samuel to choose. Samuel would have made the wrong choice. Samuel looked at the outward appearance and sometimes people outwardly can look very impressive, can't they? And uh, surely, as Eliab and uh, the other guys, Shammar, and uh, as they came before Samuel, surely this one, surely that one. See, that's what Samuel had been used to. Because when he first looked at Saul, Saul was an impressive guy. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, Saul was an impressive young man without equals amongst the Israelites. 
a head taller than any of the others. In the old version it says he was head and shoulders above the others. It sounds like a shampoo advert, doesn't it? He's, he's the guy. He's the big impressive man. He's impressive. He's tall. He's athletic. He is surely like a king amongst Israel. And God uh, called Samuel to anoint him. And Samuel's kind of used to that. That must be the way the Lord does things. So surely he must prick the pick the impressive one. But here, God shows his utter sovereignty by not picking the impressive one. In fact, the God was looking for a man after his own heart. God was looking for a man simply who was out in the fields worshipping him and loving him. It wasn't going to be any one of the seven sons of Jesse. He'd learned, he'd not learned that it wasn't outward appearance that impressed the Lord, but inward integrity. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And of course, Samuel then says, well surely, is this it? Is this just the seven sons of Jesse? And he says, well, no, there is the other one. A bit embarrassed about him. He's just a boy. He hasn't even learnt to shave yet. And he keeps singing these songs. They drive us nuts. He's up in his bedroom just singing about stars and sheep and rivers and mountains and all sorts of stuff. And we just put him out there with the sheep because we're a little bit embarrassed about bring him in. We won't sit down till David arrives. And suddenly, David comes and Samuel says, this is the man. This is the Lord's anointed standing before you. You've got to ask yourself, how does God choose people? Because sometimes we make wrong choices. We make wrong choices of political leaders sometimes. We make wrong choices of leaders of all sorts of institutions. Sometimes we make wrong choices of church leaders. Sometimes we do those things. Because we so often look without discernment. We so often look on the external, but God always looks on the internal, sees what's going on. And God looks with his amazing sovereignty and chooses, actually, those who are going to give him most glory. You see, when you're pretty impressive, people don't automatically think, wow, that must be the Lord who's anointed you. They think, wow, you're pretty impressive. Wow, you're, you're, you're pretty eloquent. Wow, you're pretty strong physically. Wow, you're, you're pretty articulate. Wow, you're intelligent. Wow, you must have come from an incredible heritage, amazing stock. Wow, what a man. Wow, what a woman. Actually, when weak people get used by God, people don't go, wow. They go, wow, there must be a big God. Well, God, it's not, obviously not you. And I'm looking at you guys. It's obviously not you. Must be the Lord then. Must be God. It reminds us of another famous passage in the Bible. I wonder if you would be so good as to turn to 1 Corinthians, such a famous passage, just to refer to this in context. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Don't worry, we won't go through the whole thing, but just a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starts off in verse 26. This is the famous Corinthian church that has such notoriety. Praise the Lord, it had such notoriety, otherwise, we wouldn't have some of the best teaching on worship and uh, on apostolic ministry and on who Christ is uh, and not having divisions in church because God uses his sovereignty and weaves it all together. And we got amazing books like 1 and 2 Corinthians because of their troubles. God works all troubles together. Paul says, God works every circumstance for his good 
Only Paul had authority to say that this morning with all that he's been through these last two weeks. Came with such power, didn't it? So even the mess of Corinth, even the craziness of Corinth, God wove it together for his good and his purpose. And then Paul writes to them, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He's chosen the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who's become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. This is God's sovereign choice and God takes great delight in choosing people that we wouldn't choose. He chooses here the foolish. It's what David would have seen as the fool, that little boy, that young foolish boy. God takes great delight in choosing the foolish. And so many Christians write themselves off because we feel we don't have the right qualifications. I've not gone to university. I've not got a degree. And so many of us here in Hastings feel that. We're well balanced in Hastings. We have a chip on both shoulders. (laughs) You know, we just feel we're not much and it's not bad for Hastings and, yeah, we're, we're, we're just, we're not, we're not that bright, we're not that intelligent, we're not that, we're not much. That's what we feel. I've lived here, I'm a Hastings boy, all right? I'm saying these things as one who lived here for the first 30 years of my life. I know exactly what it feels like. I know the temperament. I know the climate. I know what it can often, so often, feel like. But great news. God seems to deliberately choose the foolish to save and shame, sorry, to shame the wise. His plan, God's plan was always through foolishness. Through people like you and me to shame the wise and to save the world. It's always been a message of foolishness. If you just look up with me, say where you are in that passage, if you've kept your finger in it, look up with me, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 18 to 25, just a few verses before. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher as this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, some people can't believe it. They can't believe that a man who lived 2,000 years ago, can't believe that a man who lived 2,000 miles away has control of your eternal destiny. Perhaps you're a guest here this morning. Perhaps you're a visitor. Welcome to Kings. Welcome to a place where we proclaim the foolishness of the Gospel of Christ. That a man 
who was the Son of God and lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death for us is no longer dead but alive and pours forth his Holy Spirit. You see, dead prophets, dead revolutionaries don't give their spirit today. They're dead in tombs. But our Saviour is alive. And he pours out his Holy Spirit. He gives forth his Spirit. We know him by the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with power. We're going to look at that in a moment in David's life. We're filled with authority because Jesus is alive. To the world, to the intelligent, to the bright, to the academic, to those who study, to those who have it all figured out with their mind, this is nuts. It's foolishness. It doesn't make sense that I can make, surely I can make it my way, surely I can, I have the power, I'm told from a child I can be anything, do anything, I have the power to do it, we can go to the moon, we can create such amazing technology, we have authority and power as human beings, surely I can save myself, no you can't, surely I can wipe away the wrong things that I've done by doing lots of good things, no you can't, only by trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice on a cross, can you have a living relationship with God? And do you know what? Children accept it freely. Uncomplicated, uncluttered, little kids go, yes, I believe Jesus. I was an uncomplicated, uncluttered little child at eight years old in a tent mission in Pet, a little village outside Hastings. Went, yes, I, I see it. I see Jesus. I understand it. This church is full and has been full of young people who've given their lives to Jesus. Young people now all over the world. Young Simon Brading, leading worship to thousands, came to faith here. Young people from here, uncluttered, uncomplicated, simply say, I believe in the foolishness of this message. Do you believe in the foolishness of this message? Are you trying to intellectualise it? Listen, God frustrates the wisdom of the wise and calls the foolish. And he says in Matthew 11, verse 25, I praise you, Father, because you've hidden these things from wise and learned. How many times have you sat down with somebody and tried to persuade them to be a Christian? They don't get it. They don't get it. You can't persuade somebody. There has to be revelation of the Spirit. You can't intellectualise your way into the gospel to try and understand it. No, actually it's revealed to you from a father in heaven and you have to become like a child. I praise you, Father, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Welcome little children of Hastings. (laughs) We're foolish, but we've received wisdom from on high. God's chosen us. Listen to the next thing here. He says, the weak. There's not many strong chosen. There's a whole kind of philosophy uh, in people's minds that they say this, if only God would save some superstar someone, if only God would save a key politician, if only God would save a key musician. I don't know, I'm so out of date with key musicians, I don't know, Lady Gaga, you know. If 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 only God would save her, you know, she would be this wonderful demonstration of... Uh, grace and uh, you know surely or if only God would save I don't know Ryan Giggs and uh, uh, boy does he need saving (laughs) 
used to be a bit squeaky clean in Man United. I know people who wept <laughs> in, in Manchester when they heard Ryan's news. And uh, yeah, if only Ryan Giggs could get saved. If only, if, yeah, surely there would be such a proclamation, they would be so strong, they would be so able to communicate. Do you know what? Actually, that's not the way the Lord does it. He doesn't take great delight in taking the strong. He takes great delight in taking hold of the weak. People who don't glory in their own ability. People who don't say, I've done it my way. People who say, I had no way. I was lost, but he found me. I was blind, but he gave me sight. I was deaf, but he opened my ears. I was lame, but he made me walk. I was weak, but he made me strong. See, this is not an advocate for stupidity in the church. Oh, you've just got to be stupid to come to Christ. No, actually, David wasn't stupid at all. Actually, David wasn't in his own ability all that weak all the time. But what David didn't do was draw on his own strength. What David didn't do is draw on his own wisdom. David continually drew on the Lord's direction and the Lord's wisdom. And whenever he didn't, and the Bible's full of some stuff that he didn't do right... Whenever he didn't, he got into mess, he got into trouble. When he thought he could do it his way, when he could manipulate the situation, when he thought he could be the clever guy in it, God always humbled him. Because God takes great delight in humbling the proud and raising up the weak, giving grace to those who feel and know their own weakness. Do you know your own weakness? David did. Moses did. He didn't used to. Moses used to be a very strong man. Prince of Egypt. Went to Egypt University. It was kind of up there with Oxford and Oxbridge. It was like, you know, the best place to be. Brought up in the palace. You couldn't be more princely and anointed and strong as Moses. But you look at the story of how God humbles him 40 years in the desert after he flees from Egypt and then encountering the burning bush And Moses is almost unable to speak. He almost can't hold it together. And he uh, he says, Could you send my brother to do this? He can speak so much better than me. And God says, well, your brother can go with you, Moses, but I'm sending you now, a weak man. It's okay to be strong, but don't draw and live from your strength. Because God has a habit of breaking the strong in order to display his grace. About Peter. I love Peter. Peter's my favourite disciple. Uh, He's got a mouth as big as a foot. And, uh, you know, he's just such a... You know, he says all the things you want to say and does all the things... You know, he says, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll be right there with you. And, of course, literally hours later... A little girl comes to him. I mean, not even a Roman soldier, but a little girl comes to him and says, you were with him? (laughs) And he goes, no, I wasn't. (laughs) He says, no, I beeping wasn't (laughs) as well. He swears. And he denies Jesus three times. And yet, look how Jesus lovingly restores him. That broken man, lovingly restored. And then you see Peter stand on the day of Pentecost, no longer in his own ability, no longer in his own strength, but full of the Spirit. 3,000 swept into the kingdom. God can take hold of weak people. 
he does take hold of weak people, he will take hold of weak people and fill them with his spirit and use them for his great glory. It goes on, this passage, it gets worse. The lowly, not many from noble families. Some people today put so much importance on family background, so much importance on their race and their heritage, so much importance on their historic roots, where they fit into the picture. Great programs as we hear on our television quite regularly now, who do you think you are and all those things and people find out that you know, there's a few vagabonds in their uh, uh, history and perhaps they weren't as noble as they thought they were, which is always quite amusing, isn't it? When you get these famous stars you think they're somebody and find out that they came from a packed b- bunch of sheep stealing Scottish people or something. And it's quite <laughs> amusing how they're humbled by it. And, uh, but nevertheless, people are proud of their inheritance, they're proud of their heritage. We're proud to be this, we're proud to be that. But not many of noble birth are chosen. So I look out, there's not many sirs and ladies, not many OBEs and MBEs, maybe a few. If there's a few, well, it's amazing the grace of God that you're here. <laughs> because generally, God gets hold of the lowly, not those from important families. I love Gideon. Gideon's just great in the Bible. You know, he has this amazing encounter. I believe with the Lord Jesus, it's an angel, but later he says, the Lord. And he says, the the angel says, now go and save Midian. And he says, how? How can I do that? I am, this is his words, he says, I am, he says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Manasseh wasn't known as one of the great tribes at first. And I'm the weakest in that. I'm just a nobody. How can I do it? And the angel says, well, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And it said, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet. And I always think it's a bit strange. <laughs> but actually in their day, it was a call to war. A clear trumpet sound to say, come on, let's do the battle. It was the spirit of the Lord got hold of this weak guy from a nobody, from a no, no background. God wants to get hold of I love how Jesus gets hold of tax collectors and despised gets hold of the prostitutes, gets hold of the lepers, gets hold of the nobodies and builds them into the mightiest army planet Earth has ever seen. Mightier than Napoleon's army, mightier than any empire-building army, mightier than Genghis Khan's army, mightier than great American forces that punch through into the, uh, on D-Day into, the, uh, into Europe, mightier than any army ever formed. Weak people people of lowly background, and yet God got hold of them. The despised, see, goes on. People branded with contempt. We haven't got time to look at all these, but this is the same word that was used about Jesus in Luke 23, verse 11. Herod and his soldiers despised Jesus, ridiculed, the NIV, I think, says ridiculed and mocked. And that's what we're called to be sometimes. We're despised. People spit at us. People mock us because of our faith. People mock us because of who we are. And some of us are despised even in our own eyes, let alone in anyone else's. Some of us avoid gatherings like this. Some of us avoid being in social context. Some of us despise ourselves. Some of us have even had thoughts of suicide. Some of us do that. We put ourselves down all the time. Such are those that God chooses. And it goes on. The last bit here. The are not. I mean, you don't get any lower than are not. Not many who have everything. This is the end of the downward spiral. You can't get any lower than this. No one speaks to you at church. You're, 
You make sure you're the last one in and you make sure you're the first one out. You hate parties, you hate gatherings. You're a real nowhere man (laughs) sitting in your nowhere land. Making all your nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view. Knows not where you're going to. Isn't that a bit like you and me? Thus preached John Lennon. <laughs> you're just a nobody. You're a nobody. Nobody. People don't even look at you in the street. People don't even talk to you. You just feel, you think, I might as well be invisible. And some of you have been tempted to think, I might as well not even be here. In fact, some of you have heard words spoken of you. We never really wanted you in the first place. You weren't really loved. Your father hated you. Your mother despised you. I mean, we quite liked your sister. We quite liked your brother. But you, you, you were horrible. Yeah, we didn't, we, there's no place for you at all. You're, you're, just, you're, just, you're nothing. It's almost, it would be almost better if you hadn't existed. The universe would probably be a better place if the mess and the debt and the marriage problems and the kids' issues that you've had and we've had because of you. Some of us feel like that. Some of us feel like we're rejected by everybody and we've rejected ourselves and God has even, we feel God has rejected us. But actually, I'm here to tell you that God has chosen you. I wonder if that's what Jesse, I wonder if Mr. and Mrs. Jesse, I wonder what they, they had seven. Notice they had seven children. Notice the word for you today. Where are they? They're about seven. It, you know, it is the perfect number, isn't it? It is, it is like, uh, you know, seventh heaven. And uh, seven is one of those numbers in the Bible that talks about perfection. And uh, shall I forgive my brother seven times? You know, it's, 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 seven is an important, if you do any kind of study on numerology, which I don't particularly encourage you to do, but seven is one of those numbers that's kind of up there. And uh, seven sons are presented. Seven sons. I mean, not daughters. Sons presented. And you can imagine, oh, blow, we've got an eighth. Oh, no. I wonder if that was... Oh, we never really wanted you, David. You were, never really, you were never really our choice. Seven, we were really happy with seven. Seven was a good number. Is that you feel like that? You feel I'm never... Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going down the garden to eat worms. <laughs> <laughs> You, do you feel like that? That shows your age. <laughs> they wouldn't have got that in Manchester. <laughs> do you feel that sometimes? Do you feel that you are the knots? But do you know what? God has chosen you. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. He's got hold of you in his sovereignty, in his mercy, to display his grace, not you. To display his power, not yours. To display his glory, not yours. It's not about you, it's all about him. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you and for your glory and for your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do it my way. You alone are God and I surrender. So important we understand that difference. So important we understand we are the calling and we are the choosing. We are those who God has apprehended. It's not about our background. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our ability. It's all about the calling and choosing of the Lord. Ephesians 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him, in Christ, to be adopted as his sons, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And David, it's not only God's choice for king, but he's God's choice to reveal the greater king, 
the greater son. He is the choice to reveal Jesus. He's known as David's son. See, not only are you God's choice, but through you, little old you, weak you, ineffective you, you're God's choice to reveal his son to the world. You're his choice to display Christ to Hastings and East Sussex. I love what Kevin was there up there telling about. He didn't just mention Hastings, he went Battle and Robertsbridge and Fowlite and uh, Bexhill. And, you know, it's like all these towns and areas around us. You are going to be the shining jewel in this. God has chosen you, equipped you to display his son and to make the town famous. I mean, all over the world, I find Hastings is famous for one thing defeat. To quote my friend, on a bad day, you can see France. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> God is calling Hastings to be famous for grace, for the calling of God, for the glory of God. See, Bethlehem, this is the first time Bethlehem's properly mentioned here. Bethlehem, we see, we know Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah. Oh, uh, we know Bethlehem. They didn't. It was insignificant, inconsequential farming country. It wasn't famous. But now Bethlehem becomes famous the world over. Why? Because God has chosen a man after him and God is going to make Hastings famous the world. It's happening, dear friends. Hastings is getting famous the world over for the grace of God. Because God has chosen a people to declare his son, to display his glory. Revelation 5 and 22. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. David becomes in the line of Christ. And dear friends, when we become Christians, we get to be in the line of Christ. We get placed into Christ, into him. And now all that is true of Jesus, the dignity, the authority, the power, the might, the grace, the mercy, the peace, the righteousness, the security, all becomes yours now. Because you're in Christ. You're now in the line of Christ. You're chosen in him, loved in him. And we finish our story by David being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is everything. It's everything, dear friends. The baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit is everything. Listen, I've lived for eight years of my Christian life without the Holy Spirit's power, anointing and influence. I know what it is to read this book and think, what on earth is it saying? I've known what it is to be in church and sing magnificent songs and can it be that I should gain and not understand a word of it. I've known what it is to be death and to feel death creeping around me. I know what it is to be in school and to be a laughing stock and to hide my faith in Jesus. I know what it is to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit's power. I sum it up in one word, awful, dreadful. I would never ever, for anything, any money, I would never want to go back to living the Christian life without the power of the Spirit. He is everything. Dear friends, if we lose him, if we lose the anointing of the Spirit, if we just think that charismatic 
the Spirit, we just think the experience of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are just nice extras, just nice optional extras, like, I don't know, the drums. You know, you can have a band with a drum, you can have a band without a drum, it's kind of better to have it with, but it's just an optional extra. It's like air conditioning on your car, quite nice to have it, about three days in the year, but actually it's, it's not that... You, no, it's not an additional extra, it's not an option. It's everything, he's everything. David becomes different today because a Spirit comes upon him. Difference, we need to be passionate more and more for fillings of the Spirit, not just one filling. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in 1979, before most of you were born probably, but you know, I, I don't look back to that. Holton Baptist, when Alan, where is he? he was, there he is, Alan baptised me. And uh, the elders then came and laid their hands on me. And this 16-year-old boy in 1979 was baptised in water by Alan and Mark Clifford. I think two big boys they were. (laughs) Baptised me. I hope they brought me back up again. They did. Then the elders came and laid their hands on me. I was gloriously filled with the Spirit. I was so happy that day I didn't want to leave the building. I remember being the last person to leave Holton Baptist Church. (laughs) Because that's where we, we did it in those days. Listen, he is everything. Don't lose. Some people in today, in the name of mission, in the name of contextualisation, in the name of let's make it acceptable for people to come, are dialing down the spirit. Listen, I'll tell you what they're being. They're being strong. They're being wise. They're being influential. It ain't the way forward. The way forward is weak and yet filled with the spirit empowered with the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings gifts in order to bring men to Christ and women to Christ. It's only through the Spirit's power and the Spirit's anointing that we're going to say, why is Hastings famous all over the world? Because of Don Smith, John Groves. Because of me. Because of Paul. Because of Nigel. Take a look. Open your eyes. It's not us, it's the Spirit of the Lord. And I want to pray that this place continues and remains a place full, as it is and has been, full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, charge you. You There's such a battle today for this. You need to keep leading. I know it's your heart and that's your passion. Keep leading this church in that. You've got a bit of fame now. You've got a bit of success. It's easy sometimes to be full of the Spirit when you're in a downstairs basement. But when suddenly you have this wonderful centre... Suddenly people take notice of you. Suddenly officials in the town are kind of noticing. So it's a little bit easy to think we've achieved something, not he's done it all. It's a little bit easier to step out in your own strength, in your own ability, and not in his ability. Let me bring this in for a landing today and say we desperately need the power of the Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. I, in prayer this morning, just felt God give me some stuff for you in Hastings, and I'm not quite sure how to... I don't necessarily feel I want to get into a lot of ministry today, because I feel that's actually primarily the elders' responsibility to keep leading the church into these things. I'm here just to provoke you. But I felt to say some things prophetically to you. I just wrote some things down that I felt God say. And uh, Paul, I wonder whether you'd stand up. And 
I kind of want to be really sensitive about this, but I really feel you're his choice. And uh, you see, I've known you for many years. I, I kind of was there when you took your first Christian steps uh, of ministry. And, uh, you know, I, you weren't the most obvious. You know, that, I can say that with, with love and affection. But you're a David here amongst us. And, uh, you know, we honour what God has done in you. It's not your ability, it's the Spirit of God. And the more you've relied on him, just like you did this morning, just this morning was a wonderful example of you just drawing strength from him and not drawing strength from your own character. The more you do that, Paul, the more he's going to raise you up as an example. I felt two or three things for you. I felt, number one, even everything you've been through this last couple of weeks, God will use it as a prophetic example for you to reach a town. See, this town is full of widows and orphans. This town is full of the fatherless. This town is full of people who are desperate for Jesus. It's full of one-parent families. All that happened in terms of you and Chloe together. God is using all things to work together for good. And he's using you to bring something, a new dimension to kings here and a new dimension to this church And I believe there's a Davidic calling on you, a David-like calling on you. You're an unlikely, you're one who's perhaps without in the fields, just singing a few songs, unlikely leader. And yet God has powerfully got hold of you, Paul. And as you've been honoured now amongst your brothers, you've come to prominence. Now, don't, don't lose your roots. Remember where you came from. Remember it was the grace of God. Remember God got hold of you for this. And I believe God is going to use this church. You stay stay standing. God is going to use this church to reach broken-hearted people, to reach those who don't have fathers, to reach those who are widows and orphans, to reach those who are single parents, to reach those who've been abused. God is raising you up. You know, we talked about what are the distinctives of this church. We talked about, you know, arts and media and culture and business and, you know, hey, open your eyes to the town. God is raising you up to meet the needs of this town, to touch and to affect. We've done it once before and I believe you're going to do it once again. And I felt Paul says in, this is a a few verses I had for you, in Isaiah 42, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Now this is about Jesus, but Paul's standing in Christ. Everything's true of Jesus is true of Paul. I'll put my spirit on him. He'll bring justice to nations. He won't shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. It's, you know, that's, don't think you're going to be this great street preacher. <laughs> but a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And I believe, Paul, there's a, there's a vulnerability in you right now, which is a vulnerability in this whole church, which is causing you to lean on the Lord. He wants you to lean forward and lead forward in that vulnerability, to keep doing that. Now, he also then wants to gather around you a bunch of unlikelies. You're an unlikely and uh, you might think, well, you know, I'm pretty unlikely, therefore I've got to gather around me some pretty impressive people. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not so impressive, but I, I must gather around me some very impressive people. Let me remind you who David first gathered around himself. David left Gath and came to the cave of Adullam. 
When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All who were in distress, or in debt, or discontented, gathered round him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. And God is going to call you to gather round yourself some distressed, debted, discontented people who are going to rally to your leadership. And you're going to form a new army. You're going to form a new, there's going to be a new team that comes around you, Paul. And at the moment you're in a sole elder, so it's kind of easy to say these things, easier to say these things. God's going to cause you to do that. And guys, you're going to witness this. You're going to witness, you can sit down, my friend. You're going to witness the unlikely. You're going to witness those who wouldn't make the grade. And you're going to be tempted to think, oh, I think we should have someone more powerful leading us. I think we should have someone stronger. I think we should have someone who could represent us to the, in the parliamentary. I think we could have someone who should represent us in the council. Listen, I'll tell you what we want is spirit-filled, anointed men who are called to lead this church. And a spirit-filled and anointed congregation of men and women full of the spirit who are weak but know their strength is in God. That's the challenge that I felt God put on my heart to bring to you today. Hastings, you're God's choice. Hastings, you're called to the unloved and the unlovely. Hastings, you're called to rise up as an unlikely army to influence this city, this town, but to be of national and international significance. And when people come from all over the world, as they have done, our friends Kevin and Marilyn from Canada, they'll come in and they'll meet you and they go, what's all the fuss about? It can't be them. It must be the Lord. And it will bring great praise and great glory to the Lord. Now, when I was in the car coming here, I heard a new CD. It's a little clue for the guys at the back there. I don't know if this is going to work. I've never done this before. I never, ever play music in church. I leave that to others. But I heard this song. It's a new recording just come out this last week by a very, very good friend of mine. And uh, it's actually been panned by the Christian press. I love it when the Christian press pan things. That probably means there's some good in it. <laughs> it's been panned by the Christian press because it's kind of been it's seen as a bit folky. And uh, folk music, you know, that's yesterday's music. Well, actually, if you're kind of intuitive and you know where things are at in the secular world, actually, folk music's on the right. I didn't say country and western. Hope you noticed that. <laughs> some people get the two confused. One's of the Lord, the other's probably from somewhere else. <laughs> All sorts of music are anointed by God, apart from country and western. <laughs> No, that's not true. All sorts of music, including country and western, can be anointed by the Lord. Can be anointed by the Lord and used. This is a, a song uh, from a new album. The song's called Vagabonds. And when I heard this song, something went off in my heart for you. It talks about the distressed. It talks about the, the, those who don't fit in. It talks about those in debt. It talks about those who are struggling. It talks about those of different orientations. It talks about the world that we live in all coming to hear the good news of Jesus. I, I don't know if this is going to work. I've never done this before. Normally I'd end with a time of ministry. But I just felt if we can play this track four on that CD in a moment, just listen to the words of this. Hopefully we can play it really loud and rock some of you. If some of you don't think it's, it's too loud, then we haven't done it loud enough. <clears throat> and just listen to these words. I believe this is a prophetic song over Hastings. Thank you. 
If you want to be part of uh, David's army, if you want to be part of Paul's army, if you know that you're a weak person, but you serve a mighty God, if you know that there is vulnerability within you, but you need his spirit to come and fill you, why don't you stand with me and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, as we end our time together here in Hastings, I want to thank you for everything you've done here. Thank you for a basement flat. Thank you for Lindley Drive Scout Hall. Thank you for the Grove School. Thank you for William Parker. Thank you for Boundaries. Thank you for the Hastings Centre. But most of all, I thank you for the people that filled those buildings. I thank you for the weak and the lonely, the broken, the widowed, the orphaned, the single parents. I thank you, Lord, for those who are not so educated and those who are. I thank you, Lord, for those who know that it's God and his grace that has done this. I thank you for those who are now committing themselves to grace going forward, who's saying, now we've achieved some fame, now we've achieved some success, now we've achieved some prominence in the town, but we are not going to take that glory to ourselves. We're going to keep pressing on, believing that it's all of grace, believing that it's his anointing, his power, that his, he fills us. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who is risen, the one who reigns, no dead prophet in a cemetery, but the one who's seated at the Father's right hand. Now, will you pour out your Holy Spirit and power? Will you come on us, Lord? I pray for this army to arise in Hastings. I want to ask you, Lord, for this town that displays such poverty. I want to ask you for this town, Lord, that has such brokenness. I want to ask you for this town, Lord, that needs such healing. I want to ask you, Lord, for the people of God to rise up with faith, taking their place with others in this town, other great churches, other great ones who are doing the same. I'm asking you, Lord, will you please use us to touch this town, to touch this county, to touch the nation and the nations in Jesus' name. Lord, we align ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, David's greatest son, who was also hated and despised, who was also doubted his birth, also people doubted his ability. And yet the Spirit of the Lord filled him with power and he went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. Lord, we follow you, Lord Jesus. Keep pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us. We hunger for more of the Spirit. We say, Lord, do not let us deviate from the power and the filling and the working of the Holy Spirit. We have no ability. He has every ability. Keep filling us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you.